Welcome to the Faith Lakeside Podcast. Each week you'll hear another great message that will help you know God and make Him known in your life. Join us each Sunday at 1045 a.m. and throughout the week in small groups to make the most of your learning experiences. Now, sit back, relax with a great cup of coffee and a notebook and enjoy this week's message. Today, we are here to know God and make God known. I mean, that's what we're all about as Christians. We want to know God more intimately. We want to walk with him more rightly. We want to look more like Jesus. And our goal, the reason we don't just die, and we're not just like struck by lightning the second we receive Jesus, because that would be easier. But he wants us here as his witnesses and to make him known. So we want to know him intimately and to make him known as we continue to walk this life. And today, if you guys weren't aware, today is the Sunday before before Labor Day, in which we celebrate all the women who have given birth, right? That's what it is. Uh, no, of course. we. It's about vocation. It's about working it, uh, working in this life. And, and so I just wanted to take today, Dawn and Steve did such a great job about the last couple of Sundays helping to unpack there in 1 Peter chapter 3 about uh, our need to be able to both share the good news of Jesus, defend the faith, and live out the faith in, in a way that's winsome, in a way that's giving and, and enticing to others. And one of the ways that we do that, we defend our faith, the way we live out our faith, is the vocation in which we work. Now, some of you might be wondering, well, uh, you know, it doesn't apply to me. I don't work. I'm retired, or I don't go to work yet. I'm a student. And it's interesting to note that when we talk about work, that it's not just the job that we go to, but it's the position we fill in life. We have all been given differing vocations. We can be husbands and wives and fathers and mothers and children, students, grandparents. We have all of these different responsibilities that scripture has given to us as vocation. In addition to maybe the nine to five job or whatever your schedule is that you go to to make money. So both of these things, the positions we fill in the relationships with others and the the jobs that we do are part of our scriptural vocation. The things we do to honor God and to declare his name by the work of our hands and the faithfulness of our activities. And I grew up in a house where work was expected. Um, I, I don't know if, if you guys did, but my dad, he never bought us a riding mower. We mowed a couple of acres, refused to buy a riding mower. Why? Because he had two teenage boys. Uh, he was gracious and bought us the high wheel mower that was a little easier to push. But, you know, he just kept adding on acreage the older we got. I think it's probably about three acres total that I mowed with a push mower. And we never bought a weed eater. Instead, he gave us an old doll steak knife to do the weeding around the house. And you might think, well, that's cruel and unusual. No, that's just dad. And, and it was about learning how to work to use what you had. Uh, you know, I remember going into sixth grade, we had this great, amazing field trip to the Bavarian chef. I mean, everybody wants to go there, right? The German food restaurant. And, and you know, it, dad could have just paid the 12 bucks for me to go. But no, he allowed me the privilege of scooping manure out of the barn for a month, right? And, and what a joy. We, we, we all were, many of us were raised up in places like that. And maybe, maybe we had scriptures like this thrown at us 
when it comes to work. You know, Proverbs 13, 4, the slacker craves yet has nothing, but the diligent is fully satisfied. We're reminded, you know, that slackers get nothing. Uh, there's a verse in here about the lazy person turning on his bed like a door turns on its hinges. And uh, this one, Proverbs 21, uh, verses 25 and 26, a, a slacker's craving will kill him because his hands refuse to work. He is filled with craving all day long, but the righteous give and don't hold back. I heard these kinds of verses growing up. I was inundated with with true biblical teaching like this. Uh, 2 Thessalonians 3.10. In fact, when we were with you, this is what we commanded you. If anyone isn't willing to work, he should not eat. Now, this is a true biblical teaching. This is one that we really, in our culture, should probably work harder to implement and live out for all involved. But, you know, when you get beat up with these, you kind of start thinking of work as just this thing you have to do so you're not a slacker. That work or vocation is this thing you you do just, okay, yeah, I really do like eating, so I guess I'll work. I, I had this one thrown at me early in life, 1 Timothy 5, 8. If anyone does not provide for his own family, especially for his own household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. This was actually one of my memory verses growing up. And, and you, you might go, well, man, that, that might give you a distorted perspective of work. Yeah, it can, can't it? In fact, most of us, when we think about work, when we think about our vocation, about fulfilling the roles that we have in our life, whether it is the nine to five job or it is husband or wife or child or grandparent or whatever, Sunday school teacher, pastor, deacon, elder, church member, we are driven so often, not by wanting to do something, but having to do something. We are driven by, well, I have desires that need to be met, or I have responsibilities, and people will make me feel guilty if I don't fulfill them, and so I probably need to do this. What motivates you any given weekday morning? Is it that you go to work with a desire to do something significant? Or do you just go to work to get the paycheck? And I think for many of us, we have fallen into a place where even when we have scriptures like this that are encouraging us to be hard workers, we look at them and go, yeah, I feel condemned. I feel duty driven. I feel bound by these scriptures. And it's, it's like this. We're living out Genesis 3, 17 through 19. One of the curses that mankind receives. Ladies, you get the joy of childbirth being painful. Hooray! And men, here's what the fall does to us. The curse of sin for us. Genesis 3, 17 through 19. God says to the man, because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree about which I commanded you, do not eat from it. The ground is cursed because of you. You will eat from it by means of painful labor all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you and you will eat the plants of the field. You will eat bread by the sweat of your brow until you return to the ground since you were taken from it. For you are dust and you will return to dust. Isn't this encouraging? I mean, we read about this on Labor Day, a day where we're thinking about living at our vocation, about working hard, and we go, yes, it's going to be terrible my whole life. 
And we, we get this mindset about vocation, about our relationships, about the work that we have. And we look at it as nothing but duty and drudgery and despair. We get up in the morning and it is, oh, I have to. I got to do this. I mean, not only that, we, we look at it as sucking the life from us. Making us feel like we are less valuable. And many of us actually have the mindset that the work that we do, the vocations that we have in our life, not just the jobs, but even our roles as mothers and fathers and husbands and wives, that they are deeply unspiritual things that we simply do because we must. And this is a sad truth about us. That we have become so focused on doing things out of empty duty, dividing our lives up into the spiritual that I enjoy and the unspiritual that I must do simply to make it to the good things in life. That we, we miss out on one of the greatest ministry opportunities and the greatest things that has been given to us as people created in the image of God. What if, and this is a big what if, I know, but what if, let's think about this. What if when we're talking about our marriage relationships and we're talking about parenting, and what if when we're talking about our nine to five job and we're talking about our retirement, what if we could look at all of these things and see that the work that we have to do in them can be fulfilling and edifying or build us up and be deeply spiritual? Instead of looking at the people in your life as just one more responsibility, you look at your life and what you can give to them as something that will be fulfilling, something that will make you feel the presence of God, will build you and them up. Isn't that something that would just sounds like a dream? To where if we had the right perspective about what we're made for and how we work and what we do, that we could find life fulfilling and edifying and, and deeply spiritual even when we're doing things that don't seem spiritual at all. When we're driving trucks and turning wrenches and balancing spreadsheets, when we're managing people, when we're doing dishes, changing diapers, making dinner, taking people to ball games, we can look at it all and instead of being just empty drudgery that we have to do because it's part of life, what if it could become fulfilling and build us up and be deeply spiritual experiences? Well, I think it's possible if we can get a right perspective on work and vocation. I think it's possible if we can look at what God's word says to us about what we do Monday through Friday from nine to five or even more than that for some of us. We can look at the vocations that we have, the diaper changing and the dinner making and the lawn mowing. And we can look at being a faithful and obedient child and, and a good student. And we can look at all of those things and say, these aren't just duties that drain us, but there are things that are God-given gifts to glorify him and build us up. So let's talk about work. Tim Keller says that work is simply the rearranging of raw materials of a particular domain to draw out its potential for the flourishing of everyone. And if you know Tim Keller and you've read much of Tim Keller, it's just, he says it like this because he likes big words. And really to boil it down, it is moving and doing so that everybody can benefit from it. That work, God-given work, is meant to be taking the things that God has created and given to us and rearranging it and managing it and shuffling it about so that everyone in our life can benefit 
from what we're able to do. We are not just doing things because we have to. We are doing this because we get to. It is a gift from God, not just so that we can put food on the table, but so that we can change lives by what we do. We'll talk more about that here in a moment. It's interesting, in in Hebrew, the word uh, that we translate work in the Old Testament, adava, it also means in different contexts, worship or service to God. That, That if you're doing it for people, it's just work. But if you're doing it for God, it's an act of worship and an act of service. The exact same word, the exact same activity even, can be either just plain old work or it can be worship. And so if we can get a perspective that brings us to a place of understanding our vocations as worship and service, maybe we can let go of the drudgery of the day and instead glory in what God has allowed us to do to raise him up and praise his name and change the lives of people around us. So some things to understand. First of all, we were created for work. Brothers and sisters, there is no two ways about it. We were not created to be lazing about the house, sedentary people. Sedentary. There we go. We were meant to work. We were created to work. These bodies are created to work. And even the truth is, these bodies are created to work physically. Not just to do things with keyboards and pencils and paper, but also to do physical, manual labor. We were made for work. In Greco-Roman culture, it was believed that the only people who actually did work were the poor. <laughs> but, but the elites, they had reached a place in life where they could just simply laze about and leisurely do everything that they wanted. But that's not what we're made for. And how do we know that? Well, we can look straight to scripture. Because scripture is our authority. Scripture is the place we go when we want to know the truth according to God. And this is what God says. Genesis 1.26. God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. They will rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock, the whole earth, and the creatures that crawl on the earth. We have an active job, a vocation of ruling this creation. Now, some of us might think, well, that just means sitting on a big chair and telling people what to do, right? No, because God gives further detail about what that rule looks like a little bit later in Genesis chapter 2. After having shaped Adam out of the dust of the earth, God does this. The Lord God took the man and placed him in the garden of Eden so he could sit there by the stream and let fruit fall in his mouth and be fully satisfied doing nothing. No. So that he could work it and watch over it. We were specifically created. God's intent in creating mankind was that we would work. That we would do labor. That would produce things. That would bring this world into submission and provide for others. We were meant to work. We were created for it. And what's beautiful about work is it wasn't just that God was sitting up there in heaven and said, I think I'll make them have to work their whole life. (laughs) But really work is a reflection of the image of God, the imago dei. When we look at God, when, when we, he is a working God, he is active. 
There are some false teachings that would sit back and, and, and lead us to believe that God is like a clockmaker God. He created the clock, he, he wound it up, and then he just sits back and lets it unwind and run its course. But that's not what scripture teaches us. If you guys remember in Colossians chapter 1, verse 15, we're told that all of creation was first created by Jesus. And then later on, it tells us that he holds it all together, actively doing the work of making this world exist even now. God didn't just make the clock and wind it up and leave it alone. He is constantly at work maintaining and spinning and doing and keeping and providing And so God is always at work. And so for us to work is to look like God. Remember that verse there in Genesis chapter 1 in which God said, Let us make man in our image. We are made for work and we look like workers because we have a worker God who creates and sustains and is constantly moving and doing and providing and planning And so it's important for us to understand that when we fulfill the the roles that we've been given, the vocation that we've been given according to our station in life, husband, wife, child, mother, father, that when we're living those out, mechanic, lawyer, respiratory therapist, when we're doing those things, we are representing the image of God. We are showing the world who God is and what he is like. Here's what Psalm 19.1 tells us. The heavens declare the glory of God and the expanse proclaims the work of his hands. You see, even creation is declaring we have a working God. We have a God who creates and shapes and, and has done and is continuing to do. Full of glory and worthy of worship. And as we work, we have the privilege of joining in with the whole of creation Declaring that we serve a God who is at work. We serve a God who is providing. We serve a God who is redeeming. And so there are different areas of work, according to scripture, where any of our jobs could fall into. That we could say they are genuine representations of the image of God. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5.20 says this, Therefore we are ambassadors for Christ, since God is making his appeal through us. We plead on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Now this is something that is the role of every Christian. We are supposed to be going out and declaring to all unbelievers, Come, meet Jesus, be reconciled to God through the gift of his son, Jesus Christ. But some of us in the daily work that we do, we participate in reconciliation and redemption. If you're a counselor, you are trying to help redeem people from their broken relationships and past life issues. When you're a school teacher, you're trying to redeem their minds for the days are evil. You are participating in the redemptive work of God. To, to reconcile the broken things of this world and bring them back into right relationship with a God who loves them. And so we might think that redemptive work is just pastors and missionaries, but it's not. It's any vocation, any job in which you are seeking to bring people back into right standing before God. Maybe it's not deeply spiritual in the sense of you're giving the gospel, but it's deeply spiritual in the sense that you're trying to help them, whether through the gospel or just through good wisdom, reclaim 
the goodness of God in their life, the way that God meant for things to be. And so there are many of us who do redemptive work and reflect the image of God. There are many who do creative work. Our God is creative. In fact, it tells us in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Scripture tells us otherwise and in other places that there is nothing that exists that was not created by the hand of God. And that kind of leaves us with what else is there other than everything? Well, nothing. Everything came from God. He created it all. And when you are creative, when you do creative work, you participate in the image of God. And so some of you, you're doing crafting work. You're doing painting, building. You're doing things that are springing from your mind and you are making them happen and you are reflecting the very image of God when you do that. I mean, I think of, 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 you know, just doing hair and makeup and creating beauty out of, well, maybe it wasn't there before. Uh, <laughs> but hopefully there's a little bit there and you find it, right? But the, the, just, just, you can just imagine everybody, there's so many things. Creating is, is, a, is a, a, a reflection of the image of God. Then you have providential work. James 1.17 says this, Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. And providential work is that work of providence or provision. Just like God provides every good and perfect gift, some of us, the thing that we do in this world that reflects the image of God is we help make provision in people's lives. Now you might think, well, okay, so... Uh, all I am, I'm an accountant at a company that does this, and they provide a service that helps people do this. You're, a pro, you're reflecting the providential work of God. Truck drivers, you're part of the providential work of God. God used ravens for the prophet Elijah. He uses truck drivers for us, right? And, 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 and meets our needs and provides what we, we need for everyday life. I mean, Every job, you know, working in IT, you are providing a service that makes things happen, that makes people's relationships possible. I mean, just so many jobs. You might sit back and go, but yeah, not mine. No, yours. Then we might have to be creative. We might have to think, what is the end result of this job? Yeah, I, I, I balance books, right, but you balance books so that someone can provide a service so that someone's life is provided for. You, you see how we reflect the image of God in, in our very simple vocations and things of life. Some of us, we might participate in justice work, seeking to bring the goodness of God to the forefront in this life. For I love, for I the Lord love justice. I hate robbery and injustice. I will faithfully reward my people and make a permanent covenant with them. Isaiah 61, 8. God loves justice. And when we do justice work, when we seek to clothe the naked, to feed the hungry, to try and right wrongs and, and bring balance into this world where needs are met, we are participating in justice work and reflecting the very face of God through justice. Some do compassion work, and this is a similar thing. But you, Lord, are a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in faithful love and truth. Psalm 86, 15. Compassion literally means to feel along with. 
And so when, when you are doing work in which you feel along with someone, you come into their world and you, you counsel them, you just experience with them. Mothers, you are compassionate toward your children, I hope. Uh, you know, husbands and wives, you're compassionate towards one another. Grandmas and grandpas, you're compassionate to your grandchildren. Cousins and, and nieces and uncles, you get the picture. We, we, we want to come alongside. We are showing the face of God by being compassionate toward others. And some of you have vocations that live this out and make this true. And there are so many other areas where our God is, is infinite and huge and he's constantly working. And every possible vocation in this world, in some way or another, reflects the image of God. When done, not pursuing sin or evil, but to pursue him. There, there, there isn't any job that is within the confines of righteous, holy living that you can't imagine being to the glory of God and reflecting his image. And so you need to know that your work is important. Your job is critical because the job that you do reflects the image of God and declares to those around you who he is and how he loves them. Martin Luther said this, that our vocations are the masks of God. And what he meant by that is when we have a right heart and mind applied to the vocations of our life, not just our jobs, but also our roles and responsibilities in the household, in the church, in the government, that we are, we are reflecting God. People can see God in us. Our work is God's chosen means to provide for his creatures. And that provision takes so many different avenues and aspects working in order to reflect God is the way that we let the world know who he is and what he does for them next it's something that's much more specific to just Christians brothers and sisters we were saved for work well I said earlier if if God just wanted to get us to heaven the moment we came forward, he'd like strike us with lightning, right? The moment we made that profession of faith, we'd die. Uh, baptism, we'd just hold you under till you were done, right? Because if, if, if this Christian life was just about being saved and then going to heaven, then, then we'd have other ways to accomplish that. It's not get saved and then just do your time until you see Jesus face to face. You and I were saved for work, to do work. Now, what is salvation? It's critically important to understand that. We talked about the gospel in my Sunday school class this morning, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 and 4, that, that the gospel is Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he rose again on the third day, according to the scriptures. And all of that is necessary because, like the globe reminds us, we were created by a loving God, but he had standards and expectations expectations for our relationship with him. And all of us, like Adam and Eve and the tree at the knowledge of good and evil, we've eaten the fruit of sin. We have rebelled against God, chosen our own way, and in doing, earned for ourselves death and the wrath of God. If you remember Romans 6.23, the gift of God is eternal life, but, or excuse me, the wages of sin is death. There we go. I skipped ahead to the gift. I got so excited about the gift. It's like Christmas morning. Um, but, but we all deserve death. We all deserve the wrath of God. But 
God loved us so much, he sent Jesus, who lived a perfect sinless life, fully God and fully man, died on the cross as the propitiation, the sacrifice, the atoning payment for your sin and mine, and then rose again on the third day. And that everyone who believes on him can be saved from the consequences of their rebellion and their sin and be made new and given new life. And you and I, we all have a choice. Will we trust on Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior or we will, will we reject his work on the cross on our behalf and choose to go our own way and stay in rebellion toward God? But those of us who are saved, those of us who have chosen Jesus Christ, who have confessed him as our Lord and Savior, we were saved for work. We were saved to do work. Ephesians 2, 8 and 10, you are saved by grace through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is God's gift. Not from works, in other words, you can't earn your salvation, it is a gift of God, so that no one can boast. But once we are saved, we need to understand we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. You might wonder, why are you in the job you're in today? You might wonder, why are you in the vocation, the position that you're in today? Why are you retired at this point? Why are you a mother, a father? Why, why, why God, it has the schedule worked out like this? And I'll tell you, it's been his plan from the very beginning. He saved you, he chose you, and he has this plan for you. And his goal for you is to do good works in the midst of all of this. To reflect his face, to work for his glory, to rejoice and enjoy the responsibilities that he's given to you because you have a right perspective on them. Ephesians chapter four, verse 28, a little bit later in the book, the apostle Paul says this, he says, let the thief no longer steal. In other words, get your life right, do a job that's worthwhile. He is to do honest work with his own hands so that he has something to share with anyone in need. The Christian is saved to abandon their old way of life and their old perspectives and to work to glorify God and serve others. That's what we're here for. That's why we don't just hold people all the way under at baptism. Because we are saved to work to the glory of God. Work well done and rightly focused is our primary means of loving our neighbor and revealing the glory of God. There is an an author, uh, Gustav Wingren. I don't know, he's German and I don't pronounce German very good, right? But he says this in his book that he wrote on Martin Luther's theology of work. God does not need our works. I want you to hear that. God does not need our works. The infinite, eternal, all-powerful God of creation doesn't need us to work. But our neighbor does. Our neighbor needs our work. Our work rightly focused, joyfully given. Our neighbor needs it. You drive a truck. Your neighbor needs you to drive that truck. And when you drive that truck every day, you are serving your neighbor and reflecting to them the glory of God. Your neighbor needs uh, respiratory therapy. Why? He'd be wheezy otherwise. Right? Can't breathe. Yeah, Wheezy's not just a nickname. You know that, right? Um, sorry, that's like a way back. Um, we're moving on up. <clears throat> Deluxe apartment in the sky. So I can't remember the name of the show, but I remember George and Wheezy. 
Uh, oh, right. Okay, the Jeffersons. Wow. All together now, one, two, three. Um, anyway. Here's, here's what one author says. Any work conducted in faith is an opportunity to reflect the creator and love one's neighbor. Any work done in faith. In, in other words, any work that is biblical and meets God's standards of morality and righteousness doesn't have to be missionary work, doesn't have to be anything highfalutin spiritual. In other words, anything we do, you can flip hamburgers, you can write checks, you can balance books, you can work with test tubes, you can do stuff on computers, you can drive trucks. Did I say that right? I don't know why. There's a couple of truck drivers that are close to me, so I just keep thinking about driving trucks um, and, and how terrible it must be to drive a truck sometimes. I would kill people um, intentionally, not, not accidentally, but like intentionally kill people. Um, any work conducted in faith, though, no matter what it is, so long as it's in line with God's standards, is an opportunity to reflect the creator and love one's neighbor. I want, I want us to, to walk away this, this Sunday before Labor Day and realize that whatever station we're in in life, whatever job we're doing Monday through Friday, whatever place we're at, that when we do it with all of our heart to the glory of God and, and seeking to understand that everything we do is not just so we get a paycheck, but so that it's somebody else benefits from our labor, we will find work to be so much more fulfilling so much more enjoyable, so much more rewarding, so much more God-honoring. Gustav Vindgren, uh, in his book as well, says this, through vocation, God's presence is really with man. We represent God to everyone around us when we work with the right attitude and the right mindset. Understanding that our vocations have been given to us, not for drudgery, not so that we're just like suffering for Jesus' sake, but so that we can reflect the very image of God in the lives of others and help be God's hands in meeting their needs. And so it doesn't matter. Grandmothers taking kids to soccer games. You are reflecting the very presence of God. Doing the dishes you're God's hand in your kitchen, literally and metaphorically. We are the representatives of God. And so everything we do is about the glory of God and the good of others. And so if instead of looking toward the, the paycheck that comes once a, once a week, once a month, however often, we start looking to how will this benefit others? How can I serve others in what I'm doing? We can find great joy. How can I glorify God in my everyday life? Because that's what we're made for. When you work on a car, do it not for the boss, but for the, the customer. When you're, when you're settling an insurance claim, it's not about the company, it's about the customer. And how can you show Jesus to them, even if they don't deserve it? I, I'd pick everybody's vocation, and I know so many of you, what you do, or at least have a, a, a remote idea. Some of you do things I just don't know. I mean, you have a title, but what do you even do, for real? Uh, no, I'm, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. All of it is vocation. Those of you who are retired, 
if anybody actually has an opportunity to glorify God and serve others in this life, it's you. You know why? You don't even have to worry about food anymore, right? I mean, you do. I get it. You got to keep the budget balanced. But money is coming in whether you get up and go somewhere or not, isn't it? So far. <laughs> Unless the government collapses. Uh, yeah, uh, sorry. Uh, you get it. Money's coming in. And so who of all of us faces the greater responsibility for God, before God for what we do with our time and what we do with our lives? Kids, you, what do you do, right? You get up, you unplug your phone because it's been charging all night. You eat a little bit. You go to school to ignore the teacher. You come home and eat some more. You wonder why the, the laundry's not done because your favorite shirt's dirty. You go to bed. I mean, did I sum up your life fairly well? Y'all aren't even giving me dirty looks. They're not even giving me the honor of dirty looks. They're just looking at their phones. I am, I am spot on. That's, that's what that means. No, but you, you get, students, young people, you guys have a responsibility to fulfill your vocation, your job before God. Your job is to be young men and women who honor your parents as commanded by scripture. And you should see your schooling not as, oh, I have to do it. But that's your opportunity to be a great student and glorify God. To be a great creative in art class and glorify God and declare his name to your teacher and fellow students. It, this is for all of us, Christians, for all of us. Martin Luther himself says this. We, we tend to think maybe, well, but my work's not very spiritual. Here's what Martin Luther said. The works of monks and priests, however holy and arduous they may be, do not differ one whit in the sight of God from the works of the rustic laborer in the field or the woman going about her household tasks. A cobbler, a smith, a peasant, each has the work and office of his trade, and yet they are all alike consecrated priests and bishops. No matter your vocation, so long as it is not against the biblical standards of God, no matter your vocation, your job is just as spiritual as mine or anyone else in a spiritual job. And you doing it to the best of your abilities and to the glory of God and the good of others serves to lift him up and meet the needs of the world around you. And you loving God and loving neighbor by your very work. We're kind of running out of time, so real quick, some of you might think, well, okay, but it's a sin to be successful, right? I mean, you can't be successful at work. You have to work and like be, you know, poor your whole life. That's what God wants for everybody. Well, he seems to want that for some, in, and, and I, don't, I don't mean that in a derogatory way. Some of the most blessed people have little when it comes to finances. And some of the poorest people spiritually are very wealthy. But we should never then see that it's a sin to be successful. Instead, we need to understand things. That 1 Timothy chapter 6 verses 9 and 10 says this. Those who want to be rich fall into temptation, a trap, and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Notice it does not say that money is the root of all evil. That is a terrible misquote of scripture. But it is the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. And by craving it, 
Some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs, which means the pursuit of wealth can be a pitfall, a temptation, and a trap for many of us or some of us. But it doesn't say that it's a sin to be well off or successful. It says, be careful. You can fall into lots of traps. Jesus says this about money. He says, no one can serve two masters since either he will hate one and love the other or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And we read this and some of us say some things like this. Some of us say, well, that's fine. I'll just abandon God and serve money. That's the American way. God is here for my benefit. I will abandon God and serve money. Others of us, we think we're hyper-spiritual by saying to people, well, just abandon money and serve God. You know, hey, God will take care of everything. Just sit on your butt. Don't worry about earning. Don't worry about doing. God will provide. God will provide, yes, in many ways. But you should be working and you should be doing and you should be seeking to be successful. The best perspective is to submit to God as master of all. And all that you do in all of your work, do it to his glory and the blessing of your neighbor. And understand everything you do, the job that you do, you're teaching school, you're helping tomatoes get on the shelves, you're, whatever you're doing, that it can be a reflection of the very image of God in the lives of others and a means by which he is meeting the needs of his creation all around you. These two verses really sum it up really well, very well. 1 Corinthians 10, 31, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do everything for the glory of God. Work to the glory of God and the good of those around you. Colossians three seventeen. whatever you do in word or in deed, do the things that you like in the name of the Lord Jesus. No, do everything In the name of the Lord Jesus. Understanding even the things that you struggle to enjoy can be to his glory and the good of those around you. Giving thanks to God the Father through him. So just to wrap up this morning, the hope for me, the goal for me, and understand I preach to myself as much as to anyone. And and you might go, but Michael, you got a really easy job. Once a week, you stand up and talk for an hour. It's like, yes, I do. And I am blessed. And I want to say, first of all, from me to you as a congregate, thank you for making it possible for me to be a full-time pastor. That is a privilege and a gift in many ways. Thank you. But there is a truth to this work as well. I get frustrated. And you don't have to look away. Uh, You know who you are, right? Um, No. I, I get frustrated. I get tired of dealing with leaky roofs and toilets that don't flush right. I wonder, God, what are you doing here? God, what's up? Right? I, what I do is not without frustration. And so I am preaching to myself as much to you, realizing that I don't just preach so that I get paid twice a month. Now, don't, don't get this wrong. It's nice to get paid twice a month. <laughs> Thank you. But if the only reason I preach is to get paid twice a month, I am missing the joy that God has for me. I am, I am falling short of the ministry that I'm made for. And if your perspective on work is just to get paid once a week, twice a month, once a month, that's all you work for, you are missing out 
on the joy and the fulfillment and the real purpose of the work that you do according to the plans and pleasure of your creator. And so I want to encourage you this morning. I want to send you out into this Labor Day. You're going to go burn some meat tomorrow, right? And if you're going to burn some meat tomorrow, I want you to do it with the right perspective that come Tuesday, it's not, oh no, I got to go back to work. But instead it is, today I finally understand why work matters in my life. Why I understand why changing diapers is just as important as being a missionary in Africa. That I understand that my job makes a difference because it's the means by which God provides for this world and I get to be part of it. So understand these simple truths about yourself. We've talked about them, but just to reiterate, you were created to work. Even if you are retired, you were created to work, to fulfill a vocation. That vocation may be grandma, grandpa, whatever. It may be aunt, uncle. It may be best friend. It may be neighborhood sage. But you were not created to sit in a recliner and wilt away. You were created to work. Find the jobs that you were made for and do them. And because we understand that in the works that we do, whether it's being a great student and child or a great mother or father or a great accountant or a great bus driver or truck driver or whatever your job is, that you, when you work and you work with a right heart and mindset, you reflect to the world the very image of God. And they will see in your work even just in small ways, an aspect of the God who loves them and provides for them. And then finally, you, Christian, if you name the name of Christ, you call yourself a Christian, you were saved, you were chosen, you were set apart to glorify God and bless others in your work. There's no two ways about it. As Christians, we have an extra special responsibility and gift in our work that not only... Do we fulfill our creation mandate and reflect the image of God? But we have an extra special task of glorifying God and blessing others in all that we do. So I want to encourage you as you go out to remember these things about work. And when the day is going completely sideways, maybe you can remember that your work matters. That the job you do is more than just a job. The vocation, the place in life you fulfill is more than just where you're at at the time. But it is your God-given gift and responsibility to do it to the best of your abilities. That you might reflect the very image of God and glorify him and bless others in the tasks that you've been given. I hope that today was, was, was meaningful for you. I hope you can retain some of this. I'm looking forward to next Sunday and the Sundays to come up until Christmas time. We're going to be talking about how to be a Christian. And we're going to hopefully give you some really practical application on how to live out your Christian life. And some of you might think, well, yeah, I've been a Christian forever. I know how to do this. And for those of us who in, are in that boat, this might be reviewed, but we need it. For others of you, you've always wondered, okay, so I'm a Christian and now what am I supposed to do? How should I look different? What should my life proceed like from here on? And the next 12 weeks starting next Sunday will help you to understand 
what the Christian life means in many aspects of your life. Not all of them, because we're not going to get to everything, but many aspects of your life and help open the door for you to walk faithfully as a Christian in so many new and exciting ways. So I want to encourage you. We're also going to have one of our Sunday school classes is going to be doing the devotional that's going to be provided and discussing it. So encourage you to be imagining how you might be here for Sunday Bible school for the discussion. It'll be the, at least the upstairs adult class doing it. And everybody will have an opportunity to receive a devotional to go through through the week and application steps for how to be a Christian and the different topics we'll be talking about. So let's this morning as we wrap up, just think about the truths that we've been given today. We were created for work. We reflect the image of God in our work. And we were specifically saved, brothers and sisters, to glorify God and bless others in the work that we do. How might this change your perspective when you're done burning meat tomorrow and head to work on Tuesday morning? How might this change your perspective at work that day and in the days to come? Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for today. We thank you for this time and the gift of work. You did not create us to be mantelpieces. You did not create us to be porcelain dolls who sit back and are just for your adoration. But you created us to work. Thank you for giving us tasks, for making us masters, for for, for making us ones who are built to shape and mold this world. We pray that we would do the work that you've put before us and in doing that we would reflect your very image in doing redemption work and provision work in doing works of justice and compassion that we would do the jobs that you have given to us and the vocations that you've placed us in and we would do them faithfully and fully knowing that we reflect your very image as we do them. Help us to glorify you, to have an attitude that we are not doing the things that we do simply for the boss or the paycheck, but we're doing them for you. And we're doing them for the the person that's going to receive the fruits of our labor. That's why we work, to glorify you and bless others. We do pray that you would help us to have right hearts and minds as we work. And we trust you. That when we are faithful, you will make provision. You will give us the, the food and the clothing that you've promised. As we know, you've already given us a family and a forever. And so we're so thankful that you have made us for work, chosen to reveal yourself through our work, and that you're glorified and needs are met by the work of our hands and minds and hearts. Help us this Labor Day weekend to come to a place where we can enjoy what you've blessed us with and enjoy the act of work and find it fulfilling because we have a right perspective. In your name we pray, Lord Jesus. Amen. Let's stand and sing our last song of the morning.